You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free $20 wager with your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Never a dull moment for sure, Will Miles. There we go. There we go. This is Gators Breakdown Podcast, and we're ready to go here. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me as he does every Monday evening is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, man, we're, we're supposed to be reviewing a, a Florida LSU game that was supposed to happen Saturday. And, man, since the last time we talked a week ago, uh, so much has changed uh, uh, in Gator Nation. And as I, you know, it, the, the moniker lives uh, in full strength right now. Yeah, you know, normally it takes more than twelve hours before our podcast is completely irrelevant when it comes to the goings on in Gator Nation. But last week, we our timing could probably not have been worse, as uh, you know, they had the press conference on Monday, and then we sort of, you know, came and talked about what was going to happen next week, and then all of a sudden the next day, uh, pretty yeah. much everything's getting canceled. So. Hey, I mean, we knew that this was a, a possibility. We knew that that was one of the things that might happen with the virus. Obviously, Florida, not the only team impacted. Alabama somehow miraculously figured out a way to get his coach back in three days, and we've got, you know, 30 guys quarantining for a month, it seems like. But, uh, you know, hey, 2020, that's the way the season is. We knew people were going to have to roll with the punches. Teams were going to have to roll with the punches. Obviously, this has some repercussions for Florida. Maybe on a good side, maybe on a bad side. We'll see. I mean, I think it sort of depends on uh, maybe how things go the next couple of weeks. But, um, you know, Florida has an opportunity to regroup, which maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, But obviously not being able to practice is also an issue. And we saw how bad the tackling was in in games one, two, and three after coming off of an offseason where they didn't get to practice very much. And so uh, hopefully they can can right the ship and the defense can start to turn it around and the offense can keep humming and we'll see where we end up. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we were kind of talking before the show here. I think it can go two ways. I think they can either, like you said, rally around. They've they got a lot of stuff to watch and get better at. Uh, and then, but also, you know, the next, we don't know when this team, well, we'll get into it right after uh, kind of the intro here, but, you know, when the team can get back together at full strength and before the Missouri game, October 31st. So a lot of questions out there. And like I said, they could either rally behind this or, or completely fall apart here. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. We can discuss that more next week. Once we kind of figure out some more things, there's still so many questions out there will of like i said how many players uh, florida we're recording this on monday evening every tuesday florida releases their updated numbers and i think everybody, everybody's waiting to go kind of those numbers you know from the last we heard it was the you know, 21 players affected two coaches and now dan mullen as well so three coaches that we know of and all that will so yeah with, with tuesday uh, kind of everything we talk about here just kind of remember we don't know uh, what numbers are going to come out on tuesday uh, that florida releases from the you know, Sunday, Monday testing, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, testing that they're going to do on those days. So 
Yeah, well, well I think, uh, as I said, we'll discuss it a little bit more next week because we'll, I think we'll know just a bit more of testing numbers and when the team can get back, yeah, you actually get back together. Sure. I mean, again, I think we all anticipated that something like this was a possibility. In fact, the SEC anticipated that something like this would be a possibility, which is why they decided to have the schedule be the way it is and have that extra week before the SEC championship game. Certainly, there's probably a possibility that that game could get pushed back if other programs are affected as well. And Florida isn't the only program to have a COVID outbreak. They're just the program to have the most sort of notable COVID outbreak um, during the season. You know, LSU and Clemson had this exact same thing happen to them during the offseason. It just so happens during the offseason, all you do is spend a couple of weeks without practicing. Nobody really pays any attention after day one. The reason this gets all the attention, well, two reasons this gets all the attention, because of all of Mullen's comments made him a lightning rod, obviously, for sort of the national media. And then the other thing that makes it a, a continuing story is that there are games every Saturday and Florida's not out there playing. And irrespective of what you think of, of how much fun college football is, obviously, if you're a Florida fan, you miss having the Gators out there and you're just sort of champing at the bit waiting for them to come back. Yep. So we'll get into uh, more discussion with the, with with COVID and all, all the positive tests. Mullen testing positive as well. We'll get into all that. But also, well, we we know and it's been discussed. The defensive side of the ball is the issue for Florida. I don't know how many more ways we can actually look at it than what it, we've already done. From it a week is. Ago. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Uh, that that part has not slowed down at all. We 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 know that's the issue and that's the problem. But we're we're also going to look at uh, you know ways the offense can get better. And look, we're we're it, it's called nitpicking here. Will and I have already discussed this. <laughs> it is nitpicking. There's a you know, there's some things this offense can improve on, but by no means are we unhappy or anything or or just kind of picking at the offense for for no reason. You know, there there are some improvements, and especially after you watch Alabama and Georgia this past weekend, you you, you know, kind of the the offense that you got to have in a corp in a couple of weeks. Will when uh, Florida and Georgia meet up in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, we all saw Georgia play Alabama this past weekend, play them pretty well for about two and a half quarters, and then you know Stetson Bennett kind of turned into Stetson Bennett, and Alabama was able to uh, to sort of destroy that pumpkin there about halfway through the third quarter, but. You know, there was the pass interference call that went against Georgia that if they hadn't called it, then it's a field goal. It's a little bit closer game. I mean, I still think Alabama pulls the game out. I think Alabama's the better team. I think Alabama being at home probably made that a, 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 a you know an easier game for the Tide than it would have been maybe if they'd have been in Georgia. But you know, here's the reality: those were two really good teams, and I don't think that Florida's performance in the first three years or first three games this year suggests that they're on that level yet. And so they're going to have to improve in both on both sides of the ball. And that includes the offensive side of the ball because the reality is is that you know whether you win sixty three to fifty six or whether you win three to nothing, the goal is to score more than your opponent. And if your defense is struggling, then you got to talk about how does the offense. You know, there's just no room for error for the offense, and we and there are areas where the offense has has sputtered a little bit, especially in the second half, and that's something that they're going to have to improve on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, kind of looking at the rest of the week since uh, there's no game again this weekend. Florida two bye weeks here, not normal bye weeks, of course. Wednesday, I'm going to do a uh, YouTube Q and A. So, all you YouTube listeners that are watching this live now or watching uh, on YouTube, um, p- past the live uh, edition, I'm going to ask you guys to join me live on Wednesday. Probably going to roll around at 7:30 p.m. On, on Wednesday. We'll do a YouTube Q and A. Haven't done one of those in a really long time. I know I do a Twitter Q and A a lot because that's where a lot of my followers are. But for you YouTube listeners out there, uh, if you can join me on Wednesday evening, that would be uh, you know be, be awesome uh, there to, to 
have a conversation uh, with you guys. So Quentin Lee, I know you, you join me uh, almost every Monday night, man. Uh, Wednesday night, you know, do, let's do it. Let's do it again. Uh, everybody out there, uh, Ivor Whitehead, uh, all you guys, join me Wednesday evening. Everybody out there, go subscribe, like on YouTube, and we'll do a YouTube Q&A uh, on Wednesday. That should be a whole lot of fun uh, there. So let's move forward. But before we do, remember, you can find your Gators Breakdown merchandise at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown for your new look Gators Breakdown merchandise. That's ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes and News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. Hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. Really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown so we'll uh yeah so mullen come out uh, of course saturday all these football games are happening on and uh comes out and says that, you know his initial positive his initial positive result was confirmed by a second test and i'm going to assume that meant confirmed on saturday since that's when he come out and, and and put that there i don't know for sure or anything like that but that's just what i'm assuming here he just comes after at least 21 players and coaches test positive earlier last week and because of you know quarantining and because of contract contact tracing Florida has fewer than 50 scholarship players available to play a game. Uh, remember also, two assistant coaches also tested positive for the virus as well, Mullen announced last week. So makes at least three coaches that we know of testing positive here. So everything is shut down as far as football operations on campus goes. And look, I'm not into <laughs> to making political statements on, on here on Gators Breakdown. Never have, never will. Pretty much don't do it out out there at all. But, uh, you know, so, well, so many are trying to connect too many dots uh, out there as far as Mullen's comments and him contracting COVID and testing positive. And, you know, did Mullen say he would like to have a packed swamp? Yes. Or, or maybe using that comment as kind of a, a karma or a reason he's con- contacted the virus. Yes, they are. Unrelated incidents. You know, Scott Strickland pretty much said they know how it started with a couple players showing symptoms. After testing negative right before the Texas A&M trip, those players then tested positive when they come back from College Station, uh, then explained their symptoms at the time. Uh, they traveled with the team. The virus spread. That's simple. We, we, we kind of know that story now. Uh, so, so with all that said, Will, you know, the most important thing here is, is getting this virus under control. Everyone coming out of this healthy Pretty big number here, and from, from you know from the last time we've heard, and all those involved are either asymptomatic or, or have mild symptoms. But hopefully that trend continues, and everyone's on the mend, and, and, and we're back on the field soon. Absolutely, I mean you know that that's the biggest concern is the health of the players, the health of the coaches. I think for the most part we expect the players to all be relatively healthy coming out of this. Obviously, they'll probably have to go through some protocols to clear heart health and those sorts of things that are mm-hmm. associated with viral infections, just to make sure everybody's okay. And it's possible that somebody might end up sidelined because of it. I think the bigger concern in all of this, it's been the concern with kids going back to school. It's been the concern with, you know, little kids going back to school are the are the instructors and the staff and the coaches and that sort of stuff. And that's maybe where you start getting concerned is that if Mullen has it, who else on the staff has it? Are there people who are older who have it? You know, I mean, obviously Scott Strickland had announced that he had it as well. Um, you know, a guy like Steve Spurrier gets it when he's in the building and all of a sudden it could be a real problem. So that's, I think, where people get concerned. It's not necessarily the 20 or 21 year old who has the virus. It's the transmission of the virus from that 20 or 20, 20 or 21 year old to someone who can potentially be harmed by it. And that's always been the concern with the virus, you know, just 
colloquially in in real life, right? I mean, not not necessarily just on on the college campus. So that's the first thing is we hope that everybody's okay. The, the second thing is is that, um, you know, I, I don't know that, I mean, it, the virus isn't out to get people, right? I mean, it just, it, it is a virus. It's something we have to deal with. Everybody who's been alive at this point has had the flu. That's kind of, I'm not saying the severity of this is like the flu. I'm just saying it's like that from the standpoint of you catch it, it's even more contagious than the flu. So it shouldn't be a surprise that when you get a bunch of people together on a plane ride or on a bus ride, but if one person has it, it's going to spread like wildfire, and that's what's happened. And, you know, we've seen that with other programs as well. Now we're seeing it with Florida. It's not because somebody announced they're either for DeSantis's order or against DeSantis's order. It's because the virus is transmissible. And I think for the most part, people who have made nuanced arguments about the about the virus, that's always been a, a constant, right? There's been an acknowledgement that the virus is bad. There's been an acknowledgement that it's highly transmissible. But there's also been a discussion around the risk factors for the people who are going to be infected. And, and different people have different risk tolerances, which means people who have zero risk tolerance are think it's think it's ridiculous to even be playing the college football season and you've seen people come out of the come out and say that this week with all the infections uh, but then you've got people on the other side who say you know there's zero harm to the to people of this age why are we even concerned about it i think most people fall in the middle somewhere it just turns out that the people who are the loudest tend to be on both 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 <laughs> extremes right yeah and we'll kind of go into uh let's get you know throw you throw you some bones here for your your, your most recent article here at read and reaction and you know, just kind of looking at the way, and why, and most of it's national media and the way they have perceived this and taking shots at Dan Mullen. You know, look, you and I both say, you know, the, the comments that he said after the Texas A&M game, timing is part of it. You know, it just made it kind of look petty that you're talking about crowd size and all that after you just taken a loss and, and everybody wanted you to throw your defensive coordinator under the bus, and not to take, not give credit to a Texas A&M crowd uh, for being loud. And look, and, 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 and you knew what he meant uh, at the time. What do you like to have 90,000 out there? Yes. So would I, I know it's not possible. You know, that, I, that that's kind of really all it boils down to that. Uh, we'd love for a full swamp. We'd love for a full, a game in Jacksonville coming up in a couple of weeks. That's what makes college football, these crowds. We want to see it just because that's what makes college football. And then, uh, you know, of course, he doubled down on those comments Monday and then finally backed off a little bit uh, on, on Wednesday. But like I said, a lot of people were kind of just connecting the dots and saying it's an aha moment or a karma moment or, or, or whatever. Look, if if he was full, you know, I, I guess, you know, as you said, you know, the, uh, DeSantis follower and wants to open everything up and stuff. If he wasn't taking care of himself or doing what he needed to do, he would have contracted the virus months ago. And a lot for these players and these coaches out there. You know, you, you, I think they're taking the proper precautions, or if not, they would have, this would have happened uh, a long time ago. So I, I just think there's different ways of looking at it. And, and the shots that have out there have kind of been taken, or, you know, taken towards Dan Mullen. Uh, it is kind of, I don't know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two things can be true. Like Mullen yeah. should shouldn't have opened his yap, and and said what he actually what he said. Um, at the same time, and, but and I said that last week. I kind of made yeah. a joke at the end of the podcast, mainly because, and we didn't know anything about the positive tests at the time. But mainly, it's because I didn't think it was really a wise thing 
to put your athletic director and your university president under the spotlight because you know where they're going next after you say that. Because <laughs> they're going to your administrators and going, what do you think? And then those guys are sitting right in the middle of the firestorm coming from both sides because regardless of what we want to think about this, it is a political issue at this point. Oh, yeah. um, it's become a political issue. You've got 50% of the population on one side, 50% on the other when it comes to these sorts of things. And you've got different states with different different policies and and all sorts of different stuff and you can have your opinion one way or the other but the reality is is that it's a divisive issue and so it probably wasn't weighed to probably wasn't wise to wade into that sort of thing but that's who mullen is and that's kind of what i pointed out in the article is that you know mullen has not been shy about his support for black lives matter and his players that's also a divisive political issue i i think um you know for the Let's be honest. I mean, you know, there's a significant segment of the population that doesn't like the Black Lives Matter on the court at NBA games, that doesn't like the the names on the back of the jerseys, those sorts of things. And and that segment isn't going to like when the head coach of the University of Florida decides to to wade into those waters. Whether you think it's right or wrong, again, I'm not I'm not saying what I believe. I'm saying it's a divisive issue. He's been divisive when it comes to going after rivals, right? I mean, he he's certainly gone after Kirby Smart, which is fine if you beat Kirby Smart. And that was always the thing about Steve Spurrier is he had those barbs. But, you know, Peyton Manning couldn't say anything when he was sitting in his third Citrus Bowl. And, but when Kirby Smart keeps beating him like a drum, well, you know, you look a little bit foolish when, when you're going after him. And in particular on the recruiting side where he said some things about, you know, about Justin Fields and then Chris Steele leaves and, and you know, just the reflection that that has on the program. Um, you know, so and and he's also said th- some things about the fan base, where he sort of asserted that we weren't pulling our weight. That I took offense to personally and wrote about that. So, you know, this isn't a surprise. Mullen kind of shoots from the hip. He tells people what he really thinks. We say we want authenticity, but then when someone's actually authentic, we slam them for it. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll tell you what. The reality is, is after spending two and a half years of covering Dan Mullen, I'm a little bit both surprised and disappointed that he apologized. Because if that's what you really feel then say it, have it out there, and deal with the consequences. If it's not how you feel, then then you shouldn't have said it in the first place. And I suspect it's more somebody told him you better apologize, <laughs> so that's why he apologized. <laughs> and one, that's not really Dan Mullen, and two, uh, you know, at that point, the apology doesn't really hold much water. So, you know, could it, could it impact recruiting? Can somebody use it negatively as recruiting? Maybe. But I don't think so. It's not as though we're. Uh, there's also a story out there by Mark Wheeler from Inside the Gators. Uh, a parent uh, has been in this. You know, he put out a, a parent there, Avery Helms' dad, and saying he agrees with everything Dan Mullen has and what this program has handled the situation since last week, and they feel in in, in great hands. Well, and and that's the thing again that I, I tried to point out is that you can say all these things about Mullen's personality, and it can rub you the wrong way or rub you the right way depending upon who you are. But the one thing that no one has said in any of these articles talking about how he learns about COVID nineteen the hard way and all that sort of stuff, no one has pointed out a place where Florida was even remotely lax with their COVID protocols. Yeah, and if somebody can point out where they were lax with their protocols, then bring the hammer down, right? Because you knew that this was a risk, and if you were lax in your protocols, and then and then the the pandemic runs rampant through the program. Okay, well maybe that's on the head coach or the staff. But you know, and to this out- point, Will the SEC has fined three schools for you know not taking the proper protocols, and Florida wasn't one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, so again, again, I go back to you know if he's done something fundamentally wrong that has caused him or his players to be infected, then okay. But if it's just a, he, he agrees with governor DeSantis. And so I think he's evil. Well, I don't think that's right. And if it's, you know, 
people taking glee in somebody who's, you know, 48, 49 years old getting infected with a virus that's killing, you know, 200,000 people. I don't take a whole lot of glee in it. I, I look at it and I say, I hope he gets better. I hope the whole team gets better. I hope they don't transmit it to anybody else who's out there. You know, I've from the start, I've been saying, I think that this is something we need to take seriously, but that we need to have an honest conversation about risk. And, you know, Mullen just sort of ended up on the wrong side of that honest conversation about mm-hmm. risk, maybe a little bit too far on one side. Uh, again, it doesn't mean Dan Mullen's a bad guy. No, it doesn't. Um, but he isn't someone who measures his words. And, or at least he hasn't been in multiple situations where he's sort of gotten himself in hot water or just taken a position that would be unpopular within the fan base. You know, you think about guys like Bobby Bowden. I can't remember a time where he said something that was divisive to Florida State fans. Even Urban Meyer, I don't really remember him saying anything that was divisive to Florida mm-hmm. fans. Same thing with Steve Spurrier, right? Everybody loved him. His approval rating within the program, even before he won national championships, was really, really high. You know, Jim McElwain obviously took a different tact and – and paid for it. And, you know, part of that was he wasn't winning enough games. If Dan Mullen wins a national championship, no one will care. They'll put up a statue of him and, and put him on the ring of honor and, and he'll get everything that he wants. But, you know, the reality is you want to make friends. You, you, it helps to have friends and, and he hasn't done a real good job of doing that lately, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. And I, I just, I get the Lincoln project thing that came out this week was really over the top, right? Tying him with Trump saying that he has like, you know, that he's treating the pandemic with the same sort of laissez-faire attitude as Trump. And that's why they've drained the swamp and that sort of stuff. It's like, <laughs> come on guys. Like, is this really the best thing? Like there are a lot of things that you can criticize Joe Biden for. There are a lot of things you can criticize Donald Trump for coronavirus in at the university of florida shutting down a couple of games i think is one low on the list in terms of importance but also low on the list in terms of being able to blame the president of the united states so who knows man i'm sure i'll get slammed for that that's not meant as a political statement it's meant as you know i don't know how you connect that dot between somebody saying yeah i think there should be ninety thousand fans in there and somebody and then somebody contracting the virus so you know I wish yeah. him well. I hope he gets better. Hopefully he has a lot of time to watch film on defense and, uh, you know, we'll sort of move on. <laughs> so we'll go with it next. We'll get to the football side of it here just a, a little bit. And, and, of course, you know, the, the big thing now, of course, you missed the LSU game this past weekend, and now the Missouri game has been pushed to October 31st. So the schedule's been redone uh, for the Gators here. LSU game will now be December 12th uh, as well. And, you know, once you – Look at the SEC protocols, Will. You can see why. You know, people who test positive and are asymptomatic must isolate for 10 days from the positive test. They will, they will also need a cardiac evaluation, clearance from a team doctor, and to go through an acclimation process. Uh, those testing positive but show symptoms must follow those same protocols and also have at least 24 hours passed since having a fever without the use of medication to move on or to move out of isolation. All individuals with high-risk exposure also should be quarantined for 14 days. SEC defined high risk as any situation with more than 15 minutes of close contact, which is less than six feet apart, with an infectious individual. Well, you can bet that last part has happened, and, and you can see why. You know, Florida had less than 50 players available, and, and the staff also being hit. You know, put the Gators in the bind here you know, with, with the travel and then uh, actually practicing and playing a game of football. Of course, they were within six feet of each other. So, 
you know, with the testing happening about a week ago, you know, the positives can't return will till about mid to late week this week. Uh, those with high risk exposure, not until early to mid next week. Uh, you know, it's hard to pinpoint as we don't know exactly who has tested positive and when every single player that tested positive actually tested positive. So you, you can bet not everyone will be coming back at the same time. You know, so in this time, you have to hope that all the players that are able you know, watch film, get together in, in, in areas that they can. It's probably discouraged upon <laughs> for even if you test a negative to, to get together in, in a large group. But, you know, hopefully and there's videos out there of guys working out on Instagram and stuff. They're, they're together working out, you know, but, you know, get together, watch film, get in the playbook, have Zoom meetings, because, you know, there's no telling how long the practice window will be before the August 31st game against Missouri. And then, you know, from all, uh, from everything we're hearing now, now, maybe not till the weekend, Sunday, Monday at the earliest for this Gator team to get back together. Now, that's not a lot of practice time for Missouri. That's not traditional bye weeks when, yeah, this is quote unquote bye weeks. But even with normal bye weeks, you get, what, two practices a week in, in that scenario. Florida will be almost without two weeks of practice if they, when they get together Sunday, Monday in preparation for Missouri. So, I mean, there's a lot of you know, <laughs> if ands, or buts there of, of what's going to happen when you go back and, and, and play the Missouri game October 31st. So for the staff, of course, you know, those same meetings with the players, uh, but also, Will, and kind of going to your point, this is uh, more time to, to evaluate issues that we have seen on defense and come up with a plan to fix those issues. Yeah, I mean, you know, so maybe it's a silver lining, right, that people have time to watch film in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been able to before. They have an opportunity to simplify the scheme, especially on defense, which is one of the things that's been suggested. I, again, I don't know whether that's necessarily – I'm not sure that there's a panacea for the defense this year. I think that the defense is going to struggle a little bit. But rarely do you get two, two weeks to take a step back and evaluate three weeks' worth of film on your players and send them cut-ups and have them look at it and say, what should you have done here and why were we doing this? And, all right, we don't succeed when we run this particular this particular coverage set. And, hey, these four guys aren't getting to the quarterback, so what, are, what else are we going to do? And it gives you that opportunity. And then the other side of that is if you've got guys out for practice early next week, then you're going to get guys who get extra reps. And it may be, you know, one of the, one of the arguments last year, I think, in terms of having – all four safeties sort of rotated and out was that you never really had consistent reps for the guys throughout the week because you essentially had four starters. They've done kind of the same thing on the defensive side of the ball this year where they've just rotated guys in and out. And obviously you do that to keep people fresh, especially with the lack of practice that they've had sort of coming into the season. At the same time, you need guys out there who know the scheme, know where they're going to go and trust each other. And maybe it's an opportunity, depending upon who's sick and depending upon who's quarantined, um, maybe this is an opportunity to establish some of those things. So, yeah, like you said, coming into this, it's it, it, Probably gonna go one way or the other, right? Either, either the time off is really gonna hurt them, and um, you know we're gonna see that immediately against Missouri, or the time off is gonna give them an opportunity to come together, maybe get a little bit closer, build some of the trust that they need on the defensive side of the ball. Because a lot of the problems aren't necessarily schematic. A lot of the problems are guys not doing their job because they're not sure the guy behind them is gonna do his job. And if they can sort of right that ship, I think the defense will improve. Yeah, combination of a whole lot of things. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, a lot of wishful thinking, but you know, at the same yeah. time, like you just don't know, right? I mean, when you go and look at the film, it's almost always like there are breakdowns all over the place. But it's one guy on one play; it's a it's a completely different guy in the next play, and oftentimes, I think sometimes the coverage problems sort of stem from one guy not trusting the other guy's going to do his job. 
And so yeah. getting in there, watching three weeks worth of film and watching it over and over and over again until you get it just isn't something you have the luxury of doing during a season. So it's almost like you're pausing and restarting game one again against Missouri when you come out. And, you know, obviously there will be a little bit less practice time. But in terms of understanding what Grantham's trying to do on the defense, they may they may get a benefit there. Yeah, well, one thing on that, I'll give a, a good shout-out here to Gator Country, uh, Nick and Andrew, uh, on their podcast. They had uh, Juwan Taylor on, former defensive back for the Gators, who just played for Florida last year. Uh, and, you know, knows this game was known as one of the smarter players on the team. You could question his physical ability all you want to. Uh, but uh, even said, you know, in, in what he's seen in a lot of, you know, of course he's watching every game and still knows the players on the team. Guys are backing off on wide receivers, and he doesn't know why. He's like, he's a, you know, in that coverage from what we know, from what I know of this defense, these guys should be up on the up on the receivers and he goes he, he doesn't know why he goes he's he even said it's not the coaches telling him to do that they have to know where the down distance is they have to know where that marker is and they are lining up too far so uh, i think you can kind of i mess i guess trace that back to coaching if you want to if a guy go, is going to continue to do that then why do you have him out there but also you know there, there, there's the there's the aspect and just looking at that pure play that that's on the that's on the player themselves of of not lining up where they're supposed to line up Sure. I mean, now I think part of it is probably incentive structures. I don't know how much they got yelled at after that Ole Miss game, but people got mm-hmm. beat deep consistently against Ole Miss, and just deep, 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 deep the whole game. And then against South Carolina and even against Texas A&M, you know, there were a couple of deep plays for A&M, but A&M wasn't bombing them the same way Ole Miss was. And, you know, it, it's entirely possible that the, that the coaching for the two weeks leading into A&M and, and even South Carolina was keep the ball in front of you. Right. Do not get beat deep. Don't let the deepest guy, you know, you tell that deep safety that he's got to be the deepest guy. Well, then he's not going to come up on a, you know, he's not necessarily going to make the right read if he's reading the quarterback size in the zone, those sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, there is no easy fix here. Obviously, you need to know where you're lining up. You need to, yeah, it's sort of like I tell my, my son when I'm coaching baseball, right? It's if you do something the coach tells you, and it turns out wrong, that's the coach's fault. If you do the opposite of what I tell you and it turns out wrong, then that's your fault. And, you know, that's going to be one of the things that they're going to have to do. Like if somebody's not if somebody's not doing what the coaches have asked, they're going to have to come off the field. The problem is, is how do you do that when you put the next guy out there and he's doing the same thing just in a different way? And, and that's the thing. If it was one player, they would have gotten him off the field and they would, have, they would have fixed it. It's not one player. It's all across the board. And like I said, I think it's a lack of trust for one player to the next guy over. And all of a sudden, you know, one guy lines up too far off. There's a third down conversion, and you're back to first down, and you're sitting there going, okay, well, do I trust that that guy's going to pick it up the next time? And then you take a step in the wrong direction. All of a sudden, somebody's passed you, and they hit a deep pass. So um, hopefully that's something that will get rectified over the next couple of weeks is they'll identify the guys who are listening, even if they're physically limited or even if they're young, and they'll put them out there, and they'll live with the, mis- they'll live with the physical mistakes yeah. so long as the mental mistakes and the effort gets taken care of. And that's maybe the thing that I think is our best hope when it comes to the defense is, is it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be locked down. But holy moly, like three punts a game. Like, can we force yeah. the can we force the opposing team into three punts a game? Can we get some turnovers? Can we really show some speed? You know, when there's a running play, can we gang tackle? Um, can we see guys just run in full abandon and, and hit? Those sorts of things have been missing the first three games. And until those start to take place, um, I think it's fair to criticize the coaching at that point because if you're not going to get full effort and if you're going to get guys making mental mistakes, you got to put somebody else out there. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll move on uh, to the rest of the episode. But before we do, 
a message from my bookie. And ever since I started Gators Breakdown, people have been asking me who's going to win and a lot of the time what team they should bet on. Well, the best piece of advice is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And that's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prizes for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action? Check. College football? Check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. And the best part is, MyBookie has hooked us up with promo code GATERS, which gives you a free $20 wager to get some skin in the game. It's low-risk, high-reward, which makes this offer a no-brainer. That's a $20 free bet to use on anything in the sports book, and it's completely on the house. You can't beat free, and you certainly cannot beat free money. Sign up at MyBookie today and use our promo code GATERS to claim your deposit bonus. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, and good times await. Sign up today to begin your winning season only at MyBookie. So, well, I kind of, uh, I was thinking about this before the Alabama-Georgia game uh, this past week and, and the offensive onslaught that we saw from Alabama versus a, I still, still what I think is the best defense in the country, but... It's an offensive game now, and I think uh, Saturday night proved that. I think last season kind of proved that. We've kind of gotten to this point of uh, offenses taking over uh, college football. But I saw some uh, stats last week from our friend SEC Stack Cat, and and that got me that got me thinking. Now, and, and, and once again, uh, I'll kind of intro with this you know i don't want to make it sound like i'm not happy with the florida gator offense you know that not to be the case if you've listened to this podcast so you know now we can admit it, it's not perfect it, it it's 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 darn near elite but it's it, there's there's some small things that we that we think this offense can work on uh, to take that next next step and there's some areas of improvement so that's all that that's all this is here is florida offense capable of hanging in any game absolutely but we can identify some things that here to, to reach another level and, and against better defenses that Florida's going to see uh, as this uh, as this season goes on. So, you know, some, some of these stat cat rankings and numbers came out last Friday before this past weekend's games. And, you know, Florida's ranking and all this much you know, won't change since they didn't play this past weekend. And a lot of its percentages and, and stuff like that. So, you know, like I said, this is nitpicking because there's so much good with this Florida offense. And we'll start there, Will. Florida is a top-ranked team in the SEC in percentage of drives resulting in scores. Florida has scored on 70% of its drives, right in front of Alabama, who has 69%. Can we get the ball to the offense more? <laughs> I know that's more on defense, but, Will, we'll start with the good there. I mean, I didn't know that stat until looking at it. And, and look, we've known that uh, it's Florida offense has the ball that they're going to score, but they have scored 70% of the time they've had the ball. Well, they've had to, right? <laughs> 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 well, it's interesting. The game that they wound up putting up all those points against Ole Miss and all those yards, one of the reasons they put up all the yards is because Ole Miss was scoring in two or three right. plays, and so yeah. it was just up and down the field. The South Carolina game, they struggled in the second half to put up a whole lot of yards just because they didn't really touch the ball. You can kind of say the same thing about the about the game against A&M where, you know, just Mond and company held the ball an awful lot in that game and were able to keep it away. I mean, the, the telling stat for me is that when you look at yards per attempt through the air, Florida's ranked seventh at 9.7, uh, Alabama's first at 12.8. But last year, 9.7 would have been eighth. So they're basically they're tracking with what last year's stats would be, and, and – 
you know, if you look at a team and say, where do I think Florida has a strength? Obviously, the passing game is where you think so. Uh, but they haven't been terrible through the ground either. Overall, they're third in yards per play at 7.4. Yards per play correlates very heavily with scoring. Florida scored an awful lot. The reason they're scoring a lot is because they're averaging more than seven yards a play. When you do that, you can convert a second and 14 after a penalty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we all remember the Doug Nussmeyer days where second and 14 was a death sentence. Might One, as well go ahead and punt on second down. Might, may as well, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and you just hoped that all the guys on the defensive side of the ball could hold on. We're the exact opposite of that coin at this point where you you just hope that we can put it in for a touchdown rather than a field goal because a field goal probably isn't going to win the game. Um, it's not quite the um, the UCF-Memphis game this past weekend, but uh, you know, bordering on that. And, yeah. and, yeah, the offense has been fantastic from a statistical standpoint, no doubt about it. They have put the ball in the end zone a lot. Um, you know, McPherson really hasn't come out and had to make a whole lot right. of field goals. I mean, he made the one against A&M. Uh, I think he made one against uh, against South Carolina, but, or two against South Carolina maybe. But for the most part, they've been putting the ball in the end zone. When they get in the red zone, they're not getting stopped. Obviously, you've got sort of a cheat code in Kyle Pitts when you get into the red zone. Um, we'll get into that because they do look for him an awful lot in the red zone. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, when you're third in yards per attempt or yards per play, the only thing you can say is, why aren't you better than Alabama, who's number one? And if you're asking, why aren't you better than Alabama, you know, because we're only two spots behind them, eh, that's something you most of the time would take. There you go. And that's why we're calling this nitpicking. Because that's, hey, put, put it this way when you can nitpick, you're, you're in a good spot. When you, you know, you want to go back and listen to a podcast in 2017, that's not nitpicking. <laughs> that's that's uh that's far from it when we're talking about offense <laughs> well it's actually i mean it's actually the same thing right it's sitting there going with these guys on the field i don't know how it's going to change yep. i don't see any way it's going to change good god nussmeyer please stop calling the run on second and 12 or, or whatever you know or stop calling the play action pass the on third action. and 17 yeah <laughs> you know those sorts of things and you know, we're the complete opposite now where we're sitting there going, for the love of God, Grantham, just keep it keep it in front of you on third and 12. And, you know, so, it, it, hey, college football can be frustrating sometimes. Obviously, you know, Florida has been fortunate to win multiple championships since we've been alive. I mean, just sort of dominated the SEC. You look at programs that are even really high-level programs these days, like Georgia, 1980s, the last time they were able to put it all together. And so it, it's a rare occurrence. Florida fans have been lucky to be able to see that. And, you know, this is something that's going to happen, is that you're going to have sometimes where the offense and the defense are unbalanced, and the offense is going to have to pick up the slack here. And that's really why we're nitpicking is, yeah. you know, a, there you go. settling for a field goal may cost you a game. I mean, set, you know uh, – Pitts not catching that ball, or at least I can't believe they didn't review it, but the ball that got thrown out on the back shoulder throw where they wound up settling for the field goal. You know, if he catches that ball, Florida, one, runs a couple of minutes off the clock, maybe lets their defense rest a little bit more. Two, probably punches it in for a touchdown so they're ahead rather than tied. And and the game really sort of goes quite differently from that point on. And and that's a very small thing. You know, Pitts sort of slips. Pitts also looked like he was a little bit injured there in the second half. Trask doesn't make a perfect throw. The ball maybe hits the ground, and all of a sudden you're kicking a field goal instead of a touchdown, and that little thing may have been the thing that cost you that game. Obviously, it's not the only thing that cost you the game, but same thing with the Malik Davis fumble, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, Davis did a lot of really good things Mm. against Texas A&M. That one fumble should not have lost the game for Florida. You put up 38 points, you should win win the freaking game. But because of the defense, there's just no margin for error. 
Yep. So, all right, well, I'm going to start with explosive plays. And, you know, that's passing plays of 20 yards or more. And then uh, run plays of 10 yards or more. So, you know, the Gators have, you know, and for what, for them, pretty much coming off in the passing game here. And, and I don't think it's nitpicking when you look at the run game explosives here. Uh, runs for 20, uh, runs for 10 yards or more. Uh, so that's, you know, that's how that goes for, for, for the run. You know, F- Florida has 17 explosive passes compared to six explosive runs. So they're pretty much non-existent through three games. And, and to me, it, it starts up front uh, for Florida. You know, while this offensive line, we've given it credit, is better than it was last season, still not consistent enough in the run game. And the stats really show that, you know, to me, it's affecting the running backs and the type of gains that they can make. So I got this thought, you know, StatCat showed – quote on, on Twitter last week, quote, Florida had its typical issues creating run lanes versus Texas A&M. The Aggies held the Gators to a paltry 1.1 rush yards before contact average. At least Florida averaged over three yards after contact with a 47.6% broken tackle rate. Still only two 10 plus yard runs. So there you go. You can pick a little bit in that game. If Florida's able to run the ball a little bit better, maybe you come out uh, winning that game. So, you know, that's you know, that's showing that the Florida running backs, well, they're creating a lot of their own yards. While the run game is better than last season, it still struggles in this offensive line, still struggles blocking at the point of attack. And, you know, while the backs are doing a good job making something out of nothing, the potential for big plays is taking a hit because those guys are getting hit in the backfield and they're just having to, to you know, rally themselves to go get three or four yards. And if you're not, if they're not getting hit in the backfield, then the potential for bigger plays is there. And I went back and looked at it, and, I mean, the stats really tell the story. And you're not, not stats don't tell the story all the time, but it really does here. Through three games, Kadarius Toney has the longest run with a 50-yarder in the opener. That's an issue. Kyle Trask, on a speed option keeper of 19 yards, has a longer run than Damian Pierce, his longest is 14 runs, and Naquan Wright, whose longest is 11 yards. I mean, that's astonishing right now that Kadarius Toney, that part not necessarily all that surprising because of the type of player Kadarius Toney is. Okay, you, you expect that. But for Kyle Trask to have a longer run than Damian Pierce and Naquan Wright at this point through three games, that is worrisome. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was looking up some some splits on StatCat today, and between the left tackle and the left guard, they're averaging 2.9 yards per rush over the first three games. Outside on the left-hand side, they're averaging 8.6 yards per rush. Behind the right guard and the right tackle, they're averaging 3.3 yards per rush. Outside the right guard and the right tackle, they're averaging 9.4 yards per rush. So when they get the ball outside, they're being successful. But getting the ball outside basically means that the running back is having to bounce the ball after the left tackle is getting beaten. That's one of the things you really see in the rewatch against A&M is Stone Forsyth got, got beaten quite a few times. I'll tell you, the one thing I have seen is that Kyle Pitts looks like he's really improved as a run blocker. But it it's sort of been offset by the fact that I think Ethan White, you know, I think they're missing Ethan White. They're on the offensive line, you know, having to put Brett Heggie at center, which then means you've got Garage at, and and Reese at guards. They, they just haven't been moving the pile very much. And the other thing is, and, and you know, I, I praised Mullen last year because the offensive line was so bad that he basically went to sixty percent passing plays. And th- but this year he's at it again. He's got 35.3 passing attempts per game, 25.7 rushing attempts per game. And you can say, well, it's because we're not running the ball very well. But in the first half against um, Ole Miss, 14 rushes for 96 yards. And one of those was the um, 
was the 50-yard run for Tony. In the second half, 15 rushes for 100 yards. So they ran the ball in the second half against Ole Miss. And to be honest, that's the only second half where the Florida offense has really looked untouchable. You go to the South Carolina game, 14 rushes for 67 yards. So not only were they rushing the ball, but they were being reasonably successful. Then 10 for 13 in the second half. And then in the first half against Texas A&M, 15 for 73. And in the second half, 9 for 17. So not only are they going away from the run, or at least they've gone away from the run against South Carolina and Texas A&M, but they've been a lot less effective in the second half than they have in the first half. One of the things that I think you saw with, with A&M is that they just came out and said, hey, we're going to be a smash-mouth team. We're going to run it right down your throat. We're going to force you to stop it. When Florida couldn't, then the defense got gassed. The Florida offense hasn't really had an opportunity to gas the opposing defense because, one, they're scoring so quickly, but, two, they just haven't put the ball on the ground. Again, it's hard to criticize them because they're they're scoring so often. At the same time, I do suspect that that's part of – um, why the why the offense has sputtered considerably in the second half compared to the first half is not only have they put the ball on the ground less often, but they've also been less effective when they're doing it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too, and uh, I, I, that is definitely part of it. I think it's hard to get in the groove, um, especially for the running backs too, because they split the carries up so much. So one guy getting into a groove is is pretty difficult, and you know, I know that's kind of been one one complaint, if if you want to say one guy, some you know, some people out there want a workhorse uh, to kind of take over uh, the run game there, and it is hard to get in the groove. And but you know, I, I kind of look at it too, Will. In this, the big gains in the run game should be easier, as as much as Florida is throwing the ball with success. You know, th- that should be backing defenses off and, and opening some run, some of the running lanes for the offensive line uh, to, to to create. But you know, but it's not. Florida is dead last in the SEC for teams that average the most rush yards before contact, with only one point two yard average. But as I said, the running backs are making the most out of that. And that shows up, here's some good news here, that shows up by the Gators ranking first in the conference with the best rush yards after contact, with 3.91 yards after contact. I mean, the running backs are doing their their job there of of making something out of nothing. So, you know, they're making their own yards with the issues up front. And um, Florida was next to last in number of explosive runs, and that was before this weekend's games, as, of course, Florida isn't going to have those numbers. But still, you know, Florida is second to last in the SEC in explosive run play percentage. Last place is Mississippi State, who doesn't even run the ball. (laughs) I mean, the, the thing you said there that's really disturbing is that they're getting a hit in the backfield. Yep. Right, I mean, the, the stat that you said about you know number of yards before they get contact means they're getting hit in the backfield an awful lot. They're making adjustments off of that, but let's be honest, that isn't going to cut it against Georgia. <laughs> when you get hit by Georgia two yards behind the line of scrimmage, you're going to be facing second and 12. You're not going to bounce off most of those guys and run for four or five yards. What will probably happen is you'll bounce off and get tackled for three more yards back than than you would if you'd have just gone down when you got hit. The reality is we saw that speed against Alabama. If for some reason Florida pulls off the the win against Georgia and then goes to play Alabama, it's going to be the same deal, right? Is that if the defensive line is spending the afternoon in the backfield, you're really going to struggle. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but Trask was getting hit an awful lot, even on balls where he was throwing, um, you know, on time and you wouldn't really think that he was going to get hit. You looked at it and said, okay, well, it's not a big deal. It hasn't really gotten... You know, it hasn't gotten to a point where it's causing problems yet. Eh, you know, against some better teams, it may turn out that it causes some problems. So, yeah, they're going to have to shore some things up. Hopefully, that's the other thing, is with a couple of weeks off, um, hopefully this will allow Ethan White to come back because all mm-hmm. the reports out of camp were that he was really really an effective guy there at center, and it just sort of cascades the whole way down the offensive line in terms of allowing uh, 
uh, allowing guys to be in the roles where where they can be, and then and then having really effective backups if you have to bring somebody in in a reserve role. And, and, and as we said, uh, to kind of intro this, it is nitpicking because you know right now, Florida's the third most pass happy team in the SEC. That's only behind Mississippi State and LSU, throwing sixty two percent of the time. It should be easier to run the ball, like I said, but you know, perhaps still passing so much due to the lack of explosives uh, in the run game. You know, you're not, you, you know, your best chance for an explosive play is through is through the air, and I think the coaches know that. But as I said, I I kind of like to see the offensive line maybe try and get into a groove, the run game trying to get into a groove, but it's hard to. It's hard to do that when you know you can go out there and score and you know you have to score because, because of the defense. So, you know, all the explosives are coming through the air. And as of last week, Florida was the third most explosive pass offense behind Alabama and Ole Miss. And I'll get to that later. But that stat, you know, is even better by Alabama when compared to Florida. So I uh, would nitpick, nitpick that, too, of what Alabama doing, Alabama's doing. But, you know, F- Florida still will, will, even with that getting hit in the backfield, Florida's still avoiding a negative play, and kind of to your point, though, can that continue when you play some better defenses coming up, but still avoiding the negative play as Florida's ranked fourth in the SEC with the lowest negative play rate, uh, but uh, in the run game, still having issues of controlling the line of scrimmage, of course. So, Will, I, I think a lot of it, too, what we're going on to is you know, situational, fo- situational offense uh, w- with this, and you kind of go into your point that you made earlier about in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter when we'd like to see a run game take over. Florida's got to go score points, and, you know, they're still passing the ball. Offense job is to score points. That's what they're supposed to do. They're doing that, but, you know, maybe not throwing the defense back out there, running the ball would help. You know, once again, it's nitpicking, but situational football is pretty big. And, look, you probably can make that assumption. Well, Florida may have been trying to do that versus Texas A&M on that Malik Davis drive in the front. You know, front. That was – uh, I believe it was the first play of the drive, right? Uh, I'm trying to no, go back. he had he had hit him no. on a screen pass for a okay. pretty big play. Yeah, so it was either him or or Naquan Wright that he hit. I think it was Davis who he'd hit on a little uh, a little you know crossing route to to the running back to get open and really get out to midfield, which is yeah, why they were right. sitting there at midfield for the for the fumble. Um, it, yeah, so I, I think um, you know there there are a couple of things here. One is that um, yes, they have to throw the ball to score. I think they know that. And I think they're feeling the pressure of having to keep up with a defense that, that's less than successful. However, at the same time, I think one of the ways they could really aid that defense is by putting up a seven-minute drive. Yeah. And if they could put up a, you know, in that game against Old Miss, if you put up a seven-minute drive, running the ball down the field and sort of, you know, step on their throat or, or just sort of take their will, right, and, and really announce your presence of authority. If you have the ability to do that, where you go three yards, four yards, okay, it's third and two, and you blast it right through and you get that conversion, those sorts of drives really sort of take the air out of the opposing defense, the air out of the crowd, and take the air out of um, sort of the offense coming back because then their offense starts to press because they know if they give the ball back over to you, you can roll off another seven-minute drive. And that's maybe the thing that's been missing. I mean, you know, obviously up by a ton against Ole Miss, continued to score, 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 but Ole Miss the same way, able to score, score, score. Against South Carolina, they didn't have any of those seven-minute drives. They just let South Carolina run like three 12-minute drives, and then the game was over. Um, so Mike Bobo um, learned a few things before they went and played Auburn last week and, and, and uh, figured out how to run off the clock when they were ahead last week. But uh, And then against Texas A&M, you know, Florida was up by what, 10 or 11 points there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty – I mean, it was early in the third quarter, but at the same time, they get the so A and M comes and runs the ball down the field, right down Florida's throat. Florida's defense is gassed. Florida immediately comes out, three and out, 
and you know it was it was one of those things where where Trask takes a sack on the first play, then he makes a bad throw to Tony. He's off target um, to Tony on like second and okay. sixteen. All of a sudden, you're third and sixteen, and then you just throw a little dump off to Malik Davis. The ball gets you know goes out of bounds six yards short. You punt it over, and the defense is back out there again. That was the opportunity for Florida to say, "Hey, you know what? First down, we're not going to throw the ball. First down, we're going to run it right down your throat. We're going to do the same thing you did to us." They don't have the capability of doing that right now. That doesn't mean that the offense is bad. It doesn't mean that the offense is, isn't pulling its weight. It just means, again, the reality is the margin for error is so small that you really kind of do need the ability to do that in order to sort of help out your defense. Yeah, situational football, what it boils down to uh, for me. So now kind of transitioning it to kind of what we saw this past weekend in Alabama, Georgia, all eyes were on that game. And believe me, uh, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up, because Florida fans – on social media, on Twitter, we're watching that game saying, okay, what can we do here by, by watching this game? What are we going to do if, you know, what we see, we see what Alabama's doing, we see the success that offense is doing, or, or see success is having versus the Georgia defense that Florida's going to have to play in a couple games. So, you know, I kind of wanted to look at Alabama's and kind of compare their offense and their explosiveness to, to Florida. And, you know, and Florida was right behind Bama last week in explosives through the pass game. And those are passes over 20 yards, of course. Um, and though Bama was fifth in the SEC in explosive runs, uh, as I mentioned before, Florida's next to last in the SEC there. So you want to combine explosive through running and uh, throwing. And that's where kind of the difference is uh, with Alabama, their offensive line and, and their running back talent uh, that they have there. So, you know, in, in looking at the passes, Will, the explosive passes – they're not all equal. You know, if we saw the formula for beating Georgia schematically, it's beating them over the top. And I think we wonder if Florida can do that. It's a, it's a different offense here when you look at what Florida does and what Alabama does. Different personnel. Uh, and it's, look, as far as true, true wide receivers go, Florida doesn't have a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. Bama doesn't have a Kyle Pitts. So, yeah, different offense, different personnel. Uh, as far as quarterbacks go, uh, pretty similar between Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. You know, give Trask that offense. I think he's doing the same things Jones is doing, vice versa here. Uh, so, you know, how are the explosives different? And, and I detailed it a couple weeks ago in the, in the Texas A&M preview a couple weeks ago because they had just come playing, uh, come off of playing Alabama. And I wanted to know, you know, if the Florida offense can do some of the same things, those explosive passes that we saw Alabama hit uh, versus the Aggies. So, I want to go to the common opponents, Will, and what Alabama was doing versus the common opponents of Ole Miss and Texas A&M. So Alabama versus Ole Miss, pass explosives of 22, 20, 36, 32, 24, 45. That's for six pass explosives for 179 yards versus the Rebels. Add a 35, a 33, and 39-yard run in there, too, to put that total up to 286. Florida versus Ole Miss, 22, 21, 71, 30, 25 for five pass explosives for 169. So only 10 less yards on one less explosive versus Ole Miss through the air. And to add in the 50-yard Tony run and then runs of 23 and 22 for an explosive play total of 264 yards on one less explosive. So pretty even versus Ole Miss when you look at Florida and Alabama, you know, except giving an edge to Alabama in the run game with Najee Harris and, and the pure running back standpoint. Uh, there. So now versus a better defense, and this is kind of where uh, the, the, I think the separation happens just a little bit as far as explosive plays go and Alabama style of offense. Versus the Aggies, Crimson Tide had seven explosive passes. And here we go, Will. 78, 35, 20, 
23, 20, 87, 63. Three of them are over 50 yards at 78 yards, 87 yards, 63 yards. All that totaled up to be 326 yards of explosive passes, only explosive runs of 12, 16, and 14. So they couldn't really run the ball versus Texas A&M as far as explosive runs go, uh, the Crimson Tide. Florida versus Texas A&M, explosive passes in the air, 39, 21, 37, 26, 21, 23. 39 yards was the longest for a total of 167 yards of explosive passes. Run game, the only run explosives were a gain of 11 and 10. So versus Ole Miss, very similar, Will. Versus the Aggies, not so much as Alabama was able to stretch the field to the tune of 159 more yards in explosive passes as compared to what the Gators were able to do. Florida's still in that game. Florida was still scoring points, but different style here. So I I, I bring that A&M game up and the kind of the comparison up just because of what we saw Alabama do versus Georgia. We know that's the opponent Florida has to beat. Can Florida do it? Can Florida stretch the field? Can Florida go outside with the wide receivers, Grimes, Copeland, Henderson, can they do anything that we saw that Alabama offense do uh, versus that Georgia defense? So, Will, a common opponent that has a legit defense to Texas A&M then this past weekend uh, versus Georgia, still the best defense in the country where Alabama was able to connect on passes 40, 38, 90, and 34 yards <laughs> against Georgia. I mean, 40 yards. This is the best defense in the country. It still is. I don't, I don't care what Alabama did to them. They're still the best defense in the country. But still, passing yards of 40 yards, 38 yards, 90 yards, 34 yards. I think it begs the question, does Florida have that capability in being able to go over the top versus an elite defense? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, look, you, you mentioned, I mean, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith are special, special talents. You go back and look at their recruiting rankings. I think they were like 37th and 62nd or something like that. And the closest guy on Florida's roster is Trevon Grimes, and he has not shown that explosive ability yet. And Jacob Copeland, and he has not shown that explosive ability yet either. You mentioned the seven explosive plays Alabama had against Texas A&M from their wide receivers. Florida has eight all year from their wide receivers. They have six explosive plays from the running backs, though one's Kadarius Tony on a run, and then another one is, I think, Malik Davis on a run. But that means they got four explosives to the running backs. So the screen game, the, the little crossing routes, those sorts of things, they're getting pretty big plays. Naquan Wright's made a couple of, you know, five or six yard runs into, or five or six yard gains on pass plays into, you know, 21 or 22 yards. But that's sort of the thing is if you look at them, you know, you mentioned against A&M, 39, 21, 37, 26, 21, 23. Those are the explosives. You you mentioned the ones for Alabama. Waddle gets behind you. It's a touchdown, right? And Florida does not have that ability. Hasn't had that ability really since Dan Mullen came to Florida, having that guy who can really stretch the field. I mean, maybe the closest is Freddie Swain, who was able to break one every once in a while. And obviously Swain isn't around. So, you know, and, and you saw it a little bit against A&M. They opened up the game with a flea flicker. Yeah. And the whole reason they opened it up with a flea flicker is that, their safe, is that A&M's safeties got torched by Alabama's yeah. wide receivers on double moves. The difference is, is it's a whole lot different when Jalen Waddle's running a double move than it is when, when Trevon Grimes is running a double move. It doesn't mean that Trevon Grimes or, or Kadarius Tony are bad players. It just means Alabama's got really, really talented guys on the outside, and Mac Jones is is really good at delivering the ball to those guys. That's not... Kyle Trask's role, like he's not going to go down the field all the time. That's not 
the wide receiver, at least at this point, you know, we've seen Xavier Henderson a little bit go down the middle. Um, and it's not really Mullen's offense either. No, it's not. And and yeah. again, you know, you mentioned nitpicking at the uh, at the onset. I mean, the team's still scoring what like fifty yeah, points right. a game. So it, I'm just saying, it, it, is that what it's going to take to beat Georgia? Is well, is is that what it, is that style? Do you have to beat Georgia over the top? If we go to last year, Florida had a little bit of success, but with no run game help, they were and, and you said it over and over again. They were able to pinch Trask and, and kind of make him throw where they wanted him to throw. Can he force the ball down the field, and, and can the receivers help him in, in, in getting back there? No, they're going to have to run the ball. Yep. I mean, that, that's what it really boils down to is they're going to have to force Georgia to bring a safety up because as of this point, Florida has not shown the ability to have a guy who can beat double coverage. You know, you saw that last week. There were, there were a couple of plays where, um, where Trask threw into double coverage to Trevon Grimes in the end zone. Grimes doesn't come up with the ball, and he certainly didn't beat both guys. The only guy they have who's beating double coverage on a consistent basis is Kyle Pitts, and Georgia's going to probably come up with some strategies to make to make it to where somebody else on Florida's offense beats them. I suspect Kirby will have a plan for how he wants to deal with Kyle Pitts. Now Mullen will probably have a plan on how to get Pitts open. Pitts will probably have a pretty good game, but are you going to get him free down the field like they did against Ole Miss? I think that's probably unlikely, which means you're going to have to dink and dunk your way down the field in some respects. And if you're Georgia, you just sort of sit. And here's what I do if I'm Georgia. I sit back. I wait. I hope they run the ball. I stuff them, and then you get them to punt a couple of times and dare the Florida defense to stop your offense. Um, that's been that's that's basically what Texas A and M did. Um, was able to be successful that way. No, I, I think you know for all of the progress that Kyle Trask has made, and he's made significant progress this year. You go and look at the film; he's throwing the ball harder. His mechanics are better. He seems to be doing a better job of identifying his different reads most of the time, though he has locked onto pits a little bit more the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, he's made significant progress. I, I think they're going to struggle if Georgia is able to play too deep coverage and force Trask to throw outside to Copeland and, and Grimes. If you don't give him the middle of the field. And you force him to the outside. I think that's a way you can beat Florida. At least you could slow down the offense. Um, again, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to stop Florida from scoring 27 points. I'm just not sure 27 points is going to be enough this year to to beat anybody. Yep, and you know, we got plenty of time to look for Florida and Georgia. We know Missouri comes first or whatever, but and kind of just looking at what Alabama was able to do, and you know, kind of like I said, nitpicking of what Florida can get better at. Um, you know, can Florida be as explosive as Alabama? Can they take that blueprint that Alabama showed Saturday night versus Georgia, and can they apply it? And, and they really have to do it the whole game, just apply it in certain spots. Because as you said, Will, Florida's going to have to run the ball. And that's just what it is. They don't have to run the ball all season. They do have to run the ball in one game, and it's going to be versus Georgia. I mean, unless something fluke happens, of course, and you know you, you, you take your chances or whatever. But just looking at it from the, a normal point of view without any flukes or anything, if normal plays on normal, Florida's going to have to run the ball. Yeah, now, I mean, again, I, I think – you know, we saw Stetson Bennett turn into Stetson Bennett there in the right. second half, and so it's entirely possible that if George is still relying on Bennett at quarterback, look, George is limited in that capacity. I mean, it's not as though he complete. I mean, I think he completed forty five percent of his throws or something against Alabama. Obviously, Alabama's a decent defense, but I wouldn't say they're elite because they certainly were not elite against Old Miss the week before. Um, and, and so, I think Georgia can be stopped. 
Can they be stopped by Florida's defense is a different question, but I, I think they can be stopped. Same as I think Florida's offense can get more explosive. I think there's an opportunity to do that. Again, I think you go back and you look at the film. That's, again, one of these things where you have an opportunity over the next couple of weeks with the COVID break that you wouldn't have had before, right? You can go back and look and say, okay, how do I get these wide receivers involved in the game early, w- earlier? One of the things I think that was really um, – that was really unique about Kyle Trask last year is that he spread the ball around and threw to the guy who was open when the guy was open. That was really one of his strengths. It was the major difference. You know, all of a sudden guys who, who Felipe Franks never threw to were getting the ball. The minute Trask came in against Kentucky, that hasn't really been the case this year. You got Tony who's got 18 catches, Pitts who's got 17, Grimes who's got eight, and then Malik Davis is the next with eight. Justin Shorter with six, Whittemore with five. We didn't even see him against A&M. Jacob Copeland with four, Xavier Henderson with two. Naquan Wright has three catches. Damian Pierce has two catches. So it's very, very top-heavy in terms of Tony and Pitts. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to figure that out too because I guarantee, you know, anytime you're lopsided against a team that has more talent than you and the Georgia defense has a lot of talent, anytime you're lopsided, they're going to find ways to take advantage of it. One of the things that's allowed Florida to move the ball the last couple of years is you didn't know which wide receiver it was going to go to. You want to cover on that side? Cool, we'll go this direction. Oh, you want to cover on that side? Okay, we'll go this direction. And then when Kyle Pitts really emerged last year, it's like, hey, we'll go right down the middle too. Um, So that's, you know, they're going to have to run the ball, but then they're going to have to have the wide receivers come down with some of those 50-50 balls on the outside because they will at some point have to to beat coverage one-on-one on the outside, and, and we'll see whether they're able to do it. I mean, and you go back and look at the Georgia game last year. There was that one catch on the sideline, that pretty throw to Trevon Grimes, where he comes <laughs> against Georgia, comes up, gets his one foot down and bounds. Two Georgia defenders are out there. Those are the throws that are going to have to be made uh, to, to, to beat them. And look, and I don't want to just look at the, the, the Georgia-Alabama game from this last week. Week, uh, you know, what did, what did it take for you know Georgia's de- elite defense last year to look somewhat normal? They played LSU in the SEC championship game, and that type of and that type of offense. So the blueprint is there, and that's why we're kind of just nitpicking here. You know, does it look like we're being a little too picky here? Maybe. I mean, if that's what you want to call it, sure. Uh, but like I said, at least we have that luxury of we we can be nitpicky uh, with, with the offense right now. Yeah, I mean, Luke Del Rio is not our quarterback, so <laughs> Austin Appleby is not coming in. Long sleeve Malik Zaire. <laughs> you know, one thing I hadn't even really thought about until now is that they were able to rush the ball there against Ole Miss the whole game through, but part of that was they had Emory Jones coming in in some packages. I yeah. think he ran for like 37 or 39 yards, yep. um, and it's certainly one of those guys who tends to run outside as opposed to right over the tackle. And I think he had a 21 – I think I saw it a 21, 21-yard run in that game. So, so, they, so they're missing – a guy who could yep. conceivably be a big portion of the offense, you know, the the speed option that Trask runs, they don't necessarily have him run that. Um, you know, potentially against Texas A and M, if Emory Jones had been available, maybe they bring him in in a package when it's an opportunity to, to to run the ball. Make sure get that extra blocker in, get five or six yards instead of you know handing off to 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 Pierce or or leaving it in trash hands to throw the ball. So I do think that makes a difference. I think having yeah. him back will make a difference if they've got him back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and before you go there, I know people right now probably in their in their minds saying Anthony Richardson. Are you really sticking Anthony Richardson in that game against Texas A&M when you know you have to score? 
Oh, come I mean, on, man. Bring him in against Georgia. That'd be the perfect time for him to get his first snap. I mean, hey, Mullen did that a couple years ago with Emory. I mean, not his first snap, but, of course, you know, he'd come in and let Emory sling it a little bit uh, in that game. But like I said, you know, if you're trying to establish a run game from the quarterback position and Emory Jones is not ready, are you really sticking Anthony Richardson out there when you know you have to score? When you know you got to go score? Now, the third and one or whatever, when it's a safe play and all that, okay, then you do that, but... Any other time on the field, I'm not so sure when you know you have to score. Well, I mean, so this is one of those things where the lack of being able to close the games out against South Carolina and Old Miss becomes problematic because if you'd have been able to close out that game against Old Miss and you're up, you know, 52 to 7 or 52 to 14 or something like that, then Anthony Richardson can come in and you can mm-hmm. run a few plays, you can get his feet wet in an environment, you know, the Old Miss games on the road obviously, get him get his feet wet in an environment where there is no risk to him turning the ball over. Um you know, and, and they haven't been able to do that yet because each game even even though the Old Miss and the and the South Carolina games have seemed in hand the opposing team has come and made it close enough that you've had to keep Trask in the game. Right. And, and that's sort of an MO for Mullen. You know, there were times, last, I think that game against Tennessee, we were really surprised that he didn't bring in Emory Jones there in the right. back end once, you know, until really late in the fourth quarter. Uh, there were some games against, uh, I think, some of the Towson or something like that where well, Trask Vanderbilt played. last year, Emory played, but Trask was probably in too long. <laughs> well, I mean, so. but, you know, at the time it was, okay, well, Needs you know, the reps. Trask probably needs the reps because right. he hasn't been the guy getting the first team reps. But that's no longer the case. But we haven't been ahead enough to be able to take advantage of that. And and so yeah, I, I don't. If Anthony Richardson's taking his first snaps against Georgia, we're in trouble. <laughs> but <laughs> he has to take his first snaps against Missouri if you're going to use him against Georgia, right? So um, that's one of the things with not playing Eastern Washington this year, where that 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 has an impact. And, and not and only it, that, Will, and I, I just thought of it right now, not having a normal bye week when you can install things like that, when you have time to do that. But Florida doesn't have a normal bye week, and it's going to take all the practice time they have to get ready for Missouri, and then you got Georgia the next week. You're not really installing much new coming up for the rest of the season. Well, and that's something that I think maybe is a little bit underrated here is because of the way the schedule's set up. And hold on, before I go even further, it's not like the hip bye week has really helped Florida versus Georgia the last couple of years anyway, though. So maybe maybe it's a good, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Well, so um, maybe, except you do wonder whether it was closer because they had a bye week, though yeah, certainly true. didn't help them with their wristbands. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the... One of the things that you having that week off allows you to get healthy. Yep. They're not going to have that week off between the Missouri game and the Georgia game in order to in, in order to get healthy, as opposed to I'm pretty sure Georgia does have that bye week. They have the, it this, they have it this weekend. Okay, this weekend yep, they and play Kentucky they got, next week. And they get, well, so that may actually be a blessing for Florida then too. Is Kentucky is a pretty physical team. Yeah. I mean, they showed it against Tennessee. Obviously, it helped that Garantano didn't know who, <laughs> who didn't thought he was throwing to the blue team or something. But you know, Kentucky's physical and may wear down that defense a little bit. So you've got Alabama, then a week off, then Kentucky, and then Florida is going to be a little bit more finesse at the same time. If that front seven is a little bit worn down, maybe Florida could take advantage of it. So, you know, we'll see. I I think the reality is is that Florida is probably putting in its game plan for both yeah. for both Missouri and Georgia this week, whether the team knows it or not. And if you can't beat Missouri without 
being able to prepare for Georgia concurrently, then you're not going anywhere this year, right? I mean, it, that's the reality. Is you don't want to look ahead past anybody. But if you're going to look ahead past a particular team, Missouri and Vanderbilt are sort of the ones on the list. So it is at least a nice thing that we're not playing Tennessee the week before Georgia or we're not playing Kentucky the week before Georgia because those teams are teams that Florida would have to prepare for. I don't know that they'll have to prepare for Missouri quite as much, um, at least on the offensive side of the ball. I think they'll just be able to go out and do what they want to do and maybe throw in a few wrinkles then when they, when they play the Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the time off uh, doesn't, doesn't slow down the offense at all because, look, as we're kind of getting here, never settle. You know, there's chances to get better. And, you know, this Florida offense, is as good as they are, can, can, can improve on a little bit of things here. So just pinpointing some areas we'd like to see. That's all, that's all this episode was. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, even Trask could tell you that. I mean, that play that he had, I don't know what he was doing. He had Malik Davis wide open oh, yeah. for a touchdown, like throws all the way back across his body to pits <laughs> on the other side of the end zone. And you're like, well, like – I guess they really wanted to get the ball to Pitts. <laughs> and the announcer's like, well, that's a design throwback. I'm like, I don't think that's what that was. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what it was because you never see that. And I guarantee you that's yeah. not something that Dan Mullen has coached. That was somebody saying, hey, I'm really comfortable throwing to my tight end. There I think he's going to get the ball no matter what. Problem is, is that the opposing teams see that too. You know, through an, uh, there have been multiple times where Trask has just sort of said, "Hey, I think Pitts can get it in double coverage and throws it up." There was the one against Old Miss where basically it was a joint catch right in the end mm-hmm. zone, and because of it, Florida gets the touchdown because of the joint catch. But that's not an easy play. And if we look back to last year, Trask made the easy play. Like he threw it to Freddie Swain when Freddie Swain was open by five yards. And maybe it was a six yard game, but he threw it to him and they were able to get good down and distance and convert the third down. Now that he's able to convert these third and twelve, third and thirteens and has the has the ability and the confidence to do that, I do think he's letting it rip down the field a little bit more, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? I mean, it means you're gonna punt every once in a while because you get into a third and thirteen and can't convert, but it also means you might get more big plays down the field. So um I, I think Maybe it would be a good thing to pull the governor back a little bit and say, hey, um, you know, let, let's take what the defense gives us as opposed to always trying to force the ball into pits. Now, obviously, I think when you get in the red zone, force the ball to pits. Like, he's yeah. going to make the play. <laughs> but there is still something to be said for taking the easy yards the defense is giving you and, and making them pay somewhere because the defense always has to give you an opportunity somewhere. And, and um, as the season has progressed, it feels like Florida has been taking advantage of that a little bit less and less. All righty, all righty. Will, we went a little long, man. What you got uh, coming up reading reaction this week with uh, no game, no no game again? Yeah, so defensive breakdown. I'm sure everybody will love to see the film on that one. I saw, some, I saw some people in the comments complaining that we weren't talking about defense. So, so I'll give you that on the site. and then. Uh, I mean, it's know. not like we have done that for the last three weeks anyway. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, but in this case, we'll actually, we'll actually do the tape. <laughs> the, other, the other thing is I've been working on a piece – about Trask and some of the areas that he's improved this year because that's one of the things I think you see the stats and you look at the stats and say, hey, is this a mirage? Um, I don't think it is. I think when you look at the improvement that you see on film, despite the things that were, you know, the nits we're picking tonight, I think the um, the overall product is better than it was last year. And I think it, there are some obvious things that show up when you look at the film where he has improved, clearly put the time in. And that's one of the things you read all the time is that he and Pitts have spent an awful lot of time you know, even when they weren't starters and when they weren't getting a whole lot of playing time, building up that chemistry, but also just working and outworking their their teammates and outworking their contemporaries. And I think you can see that in the film. Good stuff. Good stuff. So look at that for readandreaction.com. Is that uh, 
film review stuff? Is it going to be on YouTube as well? Is that what you're going to put in? So, no, they, these are probably going to be articles. So, those okay, will be on okay. the website. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But, yeah, Will's got a read reaction channel there, too, uh, on YouTube. So, guys, uh, subscribe to that. Uh, and his site, readingreaction.com, and follow him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, anything else, man? Nah, man, just hopefully everybody gets healthy and we'll have real football in a couple of weeks. Yep, yep. Uh, reminder, Wednesday we'll do a YouTube Q&A right here on Gators Breakdown. So everybody in the uh, comment section right now, be, be sure to join me Wednesday. We'll do it around 7.30 p.m. Uh, we'll do the YouTube Q&A right here on Gators Breakdown. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>